Welcome to the Gap Church Podcast, where we're filling the gap through freedom and the truth. Please enjoy this week's message. Father Yahweh, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy endures forever. We thank you for the breath of life. We thank you for gathering. We thank you for community. We thank you because you are good. May your name be highly exalted as we listen to the word. Let us be changed and be more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to start off by introducing ourselves. My name is Annie. I'm part of the Gap Fortune. Hey, y'all. My name is Anuwakboy Litsuribuafobache. You know the vibes. And y'all um, see, um, we have these chairs here, uh, but the gag is where we're going to sit. Yeah, you know, typically gonna... when the word is brought, people stand. Yeah. But the gag is y'all know us in real life, so <laughs> we're going to so sit. So it's vibes from now on. Um, so our topic today is going to be, um, what is it again? Oh, sorry. Uh, the gospel and your identity. And our uh, theme is, woe is me, man of unclean lips. Um, so you might hear us saying woe is me a lot of times, but um, we'll get into that. Um, but first of all, if our title is the gospel and your identity, we need to get some stuff straight. So any, what is the gospel? So typically when I hear the gospel, the thing that automatically comes to my mind is the good news, right? Um, it's that Christ died for us while we were sinners. He rose again. And through what he's done, we have, uh, through faith, we have everlasting life, which is our salvation. Yeah. Um, we could just look at Romans 1.16. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. So yeah, the gospel is basically the good news, right? For God so loved the Gap, for God so loved Kennedy, for God so loved Wati, for God so loved Lola, that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. I didn't hear any amens. That's wow, crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. crazy. The Antichrist now? Uh, um, <laughs> for whosoever believed him will not what? Perish, but what? Have everlasting life. That is the gospel. Saved you from a collision course with the Lord to become in a coalition with him. Hallelujah. So, that was the gospel. Anu, can you tell us what identity is? Identity. So, we're Googling this, and it says the distinguishing character or personality of an individual. So, it's basically something that makes you different. It's like your fingerprint in your heart, right? If we're all put in the same situation, we will act vastly differently from one another by virtue of where we were born, what we ate in the morning. If we ate in the morning... Um, the level of our self-control, love, peace, patience, kindness, that's your identity. But there's many problems with that, and we're just going to backtrack a little because obviously we're reading from the scripture. So how is identity identified? Like, how do you know what your identity is? And if we look um, in the Bible, in many places, your identity is based on what you did in the community. So for example... Um, the Bible would, des would describe a man as a good shepherd. You'd never really hear their names, right? First of all, if you heard of Z uh, Zacchaeus, what was he? The tax collector, right? And most of the time, how did everyone relate to him as the tax collector and not Zacchaeus, if that made sense, right? So, oh yeah, petite, he was down to earth. All right? <laughs> so yeah, everyone had their duty in society, and that was their identity. You know, your name was secondary. You were either a good son, the prodigal son, or, I mean, the prodigal son, a bad son, 
or a good son, and then your name came after, you know, so, you know. And so now let's go to, let's go here now. How do we identify identity now? So Jenny? it's kind of like Anu said, you were identified by what happens in the community, but that's not really what we do today, right? So it's kind of like down to social media, right? You have 250 characters to tell me who you are and convince me of if I should follow you or not, right? So in your bio typically is where a lot of people try to put their identity. They try to confine it to 250 characters. They say, I'm an MUA, or they say, I do Forex. So shout out to everybody that's gone platinum. Um, or they say, uh, I'm SBB CEO, or brand ambassador slash liaison. So it's kind of like we have ventured into this generation that um, gives us this very dangerous responsibility of defining who we are, right? And a lot of us don't run that by God before we put it into our bios, which is, which is pretty dangerous. It's a, it's a dark place to be. And I think it's actually more like, let's say Pandora's box. So before, people said who you were, right? And now everyone is like, no, do you, you know? Only do what makes you happy. And then the Bible says the heart of a man is desperately wicked. And so if you're really doing what makes you happy, mm, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't mean to venture down this path, but the law is the law because some of y'all are dangerous. We are all dangerous, right? So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'm sorry, what? It's a word. Oh, oh wow, that's my first it's a word. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to go straight to our uh, scripture reading for the day, and Annie's going to take it away with Isaiah 6, 1 to 9. That's where we're going to be getting almost everything we're working on from, so take it away. All right, so Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 says, it was in the, king, the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over. <laughs> I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king of Lord. The king, the Lord of heaven's army, sorry. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, see this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Hallelujah. That was a mouthful, but um, let's break this down um, into three sections. So, um, oh, sorry, she wants to see the laptop. My bad. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to start with the first thing. The, the Bible says, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. That was the beginning of the setup, right? So as you know, Isaiah is a prophet, right? Isaiah is, remember how we look at, uh, remember how we look at people's, um, how do I put this now? class, right, in society. It's also based on your identity. So a prophet is obviously a problematic one, right? He's the one that speaks on behalf of the Lord, if that makes sense. Like he tells them, hear ye Israel, do this or perish. That kind of vibe, you know what I mean? So he's like respected at least, like, and he sees the Lord now. He sounds like he's shocked. Apparently, he was not meant to. He went into worship and he saw the Lord. Who'd have thought? And... <laughs> 
<laughs> and, and he starts this description of the throne room that is absolutely amazing. He first starts with this. I saw the Lord. He was seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. So she's going to talk about uh, the significance of uh, a king's robe. Um, so back in that time, we've heard a couple pastors say as well that it was common that when kings went to war, right, if they defeated another king, what they would do is these people were very prideful. Um, they would cut the train of the other king and then sew it onto the bottom of theirs. So the length of the train of your robe is kind of equivalent to how many wars that you've won. So he's talking about the glory of the Lord here, and he's saying that God is an undefeated champion, right? And so if the train of his robe fills the temple, and it's probably an enormous temple, I'm wondering how he wasn't suffocating. And then he says that there are seraphims attending to the Lord. And he describes them as six-winged creatures that are flying. And when they speak, the thresholds shake. So if we're in an enormous temple, now these are not your... What do they call them again? Those cupids that be just, you know... When they say, holy, holy, holy... We're shaking. You know what I mean? And this is the throne of the Lord. But the Bible says something very profound. With six wings, two used to fly, two to cover their feet, but two to cover their faces. I Why? I think originally when I, when I read this, I misunderstood, right? So I thought when they were using the wings to cover their faces, it was so Isaiah did not see them. But the gag was, it was so that they didn't see God because they could not behold how holy he was, right? So, but pause, because as Isaiah, can you imagine how traumatized? I would feel very set up. I walk into the throne room and I see angels covering their face because they're not supposed to see God in me. I'm and I see God. the Lord. Where's my blindfold? Where's my blindfold? I was set up, right? And so it's ironic that the creatures that are made to tend to the Lord cannot even behold his face, right? And then they do something very profound. They're saying what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're calling to each other, right? And let's, let's look at the emphasis on that real quick. In Hebrew right? Or in English language right now, whenever we're trying to put emphasis on something, we use what? Exclamation marks. Or we use like adjectives. We'll use emojis and text messages. Just, just so you really feel <laughs> yeah, all caps. Yeah. Exactly, right? But in Hebrew, repetition is used. Oh, hey. <laughs> repetition is used, right? To put emphasis on something. So for example, Jesus is, um, 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 Mary is at Jesus's feet and, you know, Martha is going around doing all that kind of stuff. And what does Jesus say to her? Martha, Martha, right? Or Jesus is talking to the disciples and says, verily, verily, I say unto you. So repetition is used as emphasis, like, yo, pay attention. But the seraphs are saying, holy, holy. I know they're just looking at each other like, are you going to do it? No, 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 no. Holy. <laughs> and they throw in the third holy. And they just start running around with the wings on their face. And what does holiness mean? Holiness means to be set apart. Right? And we know that in the temple in that day, there was the holy, and then there was the holies of holies. But Isaiah is seeing the holy, holy, holy God. A set up. Set up. They have wings. He has no blindfold. Imagine. Imagine that. Right? And they're speaking, and every, there's just earthquakes going on back and forth. And uh, Man, all this is to say that Isaiah knew the Lord, but did he know the Lord? He sounds shocked. It's one thing to be aware that, you know, God is God. But it's another thing I was thinking the other day. Like, yo, the Bible says he makes the earth his footstool. Are we ants? Have you thought of that? 
Like, really, if your feet are that big for this earth to be your footstool, who are you? <laughs> you know what I mean? And right now, we've talked about the holiness of God. And now we're just going to go straight to the second segment. Um, if you can read from verse 5. So verse 5 says, Then I said, It's all over. I am doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of Heaven's armies. And it's kind of like, when we were speaking about that, is can you imagine what turmoil you're about to experience that you see something and you don't even try to troubleshoot, like, how can I get out of it? You immediately say, I am finished. finished. <laughs> I am doomed. And so even with Anu talking about, right, he's in the holiest of holy. holy shout out to the Gap Worship team. We have a song called Holy, holy. holy. We should have thrown in a third holy. But, um, it's kind of like when you're in that place, right, there's there's this revelation that he has, right? When he starts saying, whoa, am I a man of unclean lips, right? So think about the Olympics. Can you imagine being in the US and people telling you, you are the fastest man in the world. And then you go to the Olympics and China is dusting you. And it's like, right? Bye. And so you have that revelation that, <laughs> it's a woe is me revelation that it's like, I'm, I'm not who these people told me I was. So he says, I have filthy lips. And then he was even dry snitching. It was like, even those people that sent me here, they also have filthy lips. And, and, and let's put emphasis on that. Why does he say filthy lips? Remember, he's a prophet. He's groomed to be able to speak. That's his, how do I put it now? His gold card, if that makes sense. Like, for example, a mason would say my work, my hand, the works of my hand, it's like, that's my gift, that's my talent. That's what makes me stand in society, remember? I'm a good mason, so, mason, right? So what, prophet Isaiah is what? A good prophet, he's good at speaking, right? And in front of God, the distance is so far that he's like, whoa, woe is me, man of unclean lips. The thing I boast in is nothing compared to the glory of the Lord, right? And then he says, the people that judged me, that said, you're good, set me up because they are also of unclean lips. They lied to me, okay? They lied to me. I'm not good. This is terrible. And he says, for I have what? Seen the Lord. He doesn't say, what is me, man of unclean lips? Well, that's it. He says, I have seen the king, the one whose robe fills the temple, right? So Isaiah here is having the most traumatic experience ever. And Isaiah's identity is what? Demolished. Isaiah's identity, the thing he takes pride in, the thing that makes him wake up in the morning, heck, I am the voice of God to Israel. And woe is me. Then woe is Israel. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean, right? And then we're going to go into like the, the second section now where, you know, stuff starts to change. So in verse 6, uh, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips and with, with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. So what's the, what's the significance of that, right? The Bible says that the Lord is what? A consuming fire. So if these guys that cannot see the Lord... Start flying towards you with fire, like, like, zoom, <laughs> you know? And they can't even pick up the fire from the throne of the Lord. They have to use what? Tongues. Tongues. <laughs> right? 
and it's flying towards you. Big, massive thing. Double woe is me. If I said woe is me before, woe, woe, woe is me, right? Another person that said woe is me is who? Job. Job in the Bible, woe is me is a curse on myself. I'm saying that, man, it truly is finished for me. But something different happens this time. The Bible says that the seraph says to him, here, your lips are cleansed. Your sins have been atoned for. He expected to die. He was cleansed. Another place where the fire of the Lord was consuming, um, was burning but not consuming, was who, where? The bush. Right? What attracted Moses in the first place? He said, ah, this thing is burning, but it's not burning. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Let me come. And then he's entering almost the holies of holies, and God is like, hey, take off your, what? Your shoes. What are you bringing in there? Your dirt. Your past. What you identify as. You're coming barefoot before the Lord. And so it's kind of like when we're talking about your identity and the gospel. This is where we. This is what we want everybody to get right. There's a sweet spot between um, the gospel and your identity, where despite what you put in those 250 characters or whatever society told you that you should be, that there's an identity that Christ wants you to be right. And so it's kind of like me and Ani were speaking, and we're talking about that. There's a difference between being called, being chosen, and being sent. And then it's a completely different thing if you go or not, right? Um, even when God was choosing the disciples, it says that he called disciples up the mountain. And then once they were all there, then it says he appointed 12. So multiple people were called up, but only a few were chosen. And so when we're talking about your identity, I think this is, this is kind of what Dara was talking about. Like, what's next? The, the next steps for us after Power Night is that we need to make sure that our identities are in line with who God has called us to be, right? Even in the parable of the sower and the seed, right? A lot of times I hear it preached that we are either the rocky soil or the good soil or the thorns, right? But I've heard it preached a different way that we're actually the seed, right? So if there's an apple seed, I'm not going to plant the apple seed and expect oranges to grow. An apple seed is an apple seed. I know what's come I, because of its identity. That tells me what I should get out of it, right? Um, so it's kind of like regardless of... It, we, we have to be more conscious of the environments that we put ourselves in, right? The, the conversations that we have, what we do when we leave church. That's what the soil is. That's, it's the environment that you put this identity in. So if God has called you, you've always been called, but are you making the environment conducive to what God has called you to be, right? And so it's, it's one of those things where we have to take that hard look in the mirror, right? And start asking Christ who he's called us to be, right? Sometimes that can get drowned out by what society has told you, by what your parents want for you, by what's socially acceptable, but who has God told you to be? Which one? And so, so, yeah, can you read the last part? Because I think that, that is just like, that's where we're going to call it a day. Um, and then um, the Lord says to... In verse 8, it says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. So Isaiah is a prophet who's technically been already sent when he was born. 
But here, after realizing his identity is nothing compared to God, he's been stripped and he's been made a blank canvas again. And the Lord then says, remember, you just said, <laughs> the Lord doesn't ask a question he doesn't know the answer to. He's like, oh, thank you for the answer there. You know, <laughs> the Lord is like, who shall we send? Now, Isaiah, after having the most traumatic experience of his life, is saying, I beg. Send me. <laughs> I do not die. <laughs> I take God beg you. <laughs> In the name of God, <laughs> send me. You know, and we're just talking about the parable of the lost coin that uh, I think is really profound. You were reading about it. Yeah, so it's kind of like, like we said about that seed, right? Whether it grows or not, whether it flourishes or not, the apple seed is the apple seed. And so I was actually looking for um, the prodigal of the lost son. And so as I got to Luke 15, I noticed that before that, there were two more parables. It was the lost sheep, Christ leaving the 99 for the one. We all know that one. But then the shortest parable in that chapter is the parable of the lost coin. And it's essentially saying... Um, that there was a woman, she had 10 silver coins, and she loses one. And I know with parables, parables are intended to have deeper meanings, right? And so I also noticed that whenever the Bible puts something in a particular order, it's in that order for a reason. So it says when this woman with 10 silver coins loses one, what she does is first she turns on the light, and then she cleans the house, and then she searches for it, right? Anybody that knows Anu knows he loses his phone a lot, right? Okay, Anu, I've seen Anu search an entire area looking for his phone, and after he doesn't find it, then he'll double back and go and he'll turn on the light. And so that light coming on is kind of like that epiphany that he's having when he says, woe is me, right? When Christ reveals to you what your true identity is, that's the equivalent of your light coming on, right? And then the next thing it says is that she cleans the house. So imagine searching for your phone, right? And the house is filthy. You could look everywhere and look in all the right spots, especially where you think that you left it. But if there's filth there, you're not going to find it. And so it's a lot easier to see something that's out of place if the house is clean. And so she turns the light on, right? She cleans the house. And then the last part is that she searches for it. And I think that that is so profound because it has so many different meanings. So many people can get so many different revelations from that, that even in the Bible, it's saying that Christ is asking this question. He's searching for someone and he's saying, who shall I send? And then it kind of makes you search yourself, right? Am I living a life worthy of the death that Jesus died? Is my identity who God has called me to be, or am I trying to appease other people? I think that's very profound. The Bible says, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless. The work is finished. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did uh, God do? Washing you and presenting you before himself spotless. God turns on the light when you read the word cleans you up, and then says, whom shall I send? Another profound um, person that I saw the Lord was Saul. Saul, before becoming Paul, was on his way to Damascus to, you know, get some fresh Christians, and you know, off with their head. You know, he was, did you know that Saul was a Pharisee? He was actually, by law, he was legally allowed to do that by the church. So he was doing the best he was. You know, he was being a good Pharisee, off with their heads. But the Bible says on their way to Damascus, a light shone on their way. 
Paul was not the only one. So if you're here and you think that, oh man, good, I've been coming to church for a while, the light could be shining and only one person becomes a Paul. The Bible said, let he that thinks that he stand, take heed lest he fall. If you think you're clean, you've not seen the Lord. You have not seen the Lord. One more scripture the Bible talks about in, I believe, Luke. The sinful woman, the woman with the alabaster box. All of us, we sing, I'll pour my alabaster box. What's the value of an alabaster box? It's her identity. It's her scent. That's how they know. Mm, That's the girl. (laughs) That's how they know. That's her year's wage. And what does she do? She breaks it at the feet. She says, woe is me. Woe is me. She's blanked out. She, her canvas is made blank right there. And everyone is saying, like people that could be here, well, if they knew this woman. And then Jesus says, Simon, if there is five, if two people owe a master, one 500, one 50, both debts are forgiven. Who will love more? And Simon says, I suppose the one with 500. But the gag is, she knew her 500. The others didn't. She was more aware of her sin than the Pharisees and Sadducees walking around. And so the Bible says, he who is forgiven much will love much. Your response to Christ here is not for condemnation. The Bible says, every tongue that rises up against you in judgment, what what will happen? will be condemned. The Bible says the blood of Christ speaks a better word than what? The blood of what? Abel. What was Abel's blood asking for? Vengeance. Blood begets blood. He who lives by the sword will what? Die by the sword. But the first time, the fire that did not consume Isaiah is the same blood, the first time, a blood is speaking a better word. Remember Jesus on the cross. What did he say? Father, for, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Peter, Peter, Peter is the staunchest disciple. Is he that left or right? Slashing ears here. Ah, you cannot have my Jesus. No or, ah, I'll never deny you. But then he says, ah, Peter, aren't you one of Jesus' disciples? I went, no, one of Jesus' disciples. Ah, it's a lie. That's not me. That's not me. You missed him. You missed him. He just passed. And the cock grows. And what happens? A light is shone. And he says, woe is me. I thought I was good. I thought, I thought I could stand for Jesus. But woe is me. That same Peter, Jesus looks at him and says what? You, Peter, on this church, on this rock, I will what? Build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. Peter had to get to the point where he said, it's not by my too. It's not by my willpower. (laughs) Unless this light shines in your life, unless you take the word of God and put it into your heart, the gospel is not something that you add on to your life. You either get in or get out. (laughs) Your knee must bow now or it will eventually bow. (laughs) It will. And I'm not meaning to like scare you or anything like that, but how pleasant is it to bow to a God that is all for you and not against you? 
that went to the cross, drinking that cup, the cup of God's wrath that belonged to you. Can you drink your own cup? Can you drink the cup of your own iniquity? Can you? So um, just a transparency moment. I think initially when me and Anu were trying to get this sermon together, he came with Isaiah 6, and then I came with the parable of the lost coin. And we kind of, we felt like they had nothing to do with each other. So it took a lot of praying, and it's kind of like we realized that they're, they're tied together in that parable, right? And that parable is also synonymous with where we're at right now. So we did want to give this moment um, just to kind of do an altar call, right? That even in those three stages in the parable of the lost coin, whether your light is on, whether your light is off, whether your house is clean, whether your house is filthy, or whether you're searching for an answer, or you know that Christ has been searching for you, we do want to um, give you the opportunity to give your life to Christ. And so even speaking just about with identity and gospel and where that sweet spot happens. It, Peter 1, 23 says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And so um, if we could have everyone stand to their feet, we're gonna do an altar call. And we can start having. Okay. So um, just go ahead and bow your heads. Um, and we're going to try to do something different for this altar call. Um, just take the time to think of things that have happened in your life up to this point. Think of Deeper Night, right? Uh, for those of, who are able to go. Um, Think of the things God revealed in that room, or if you feel that you didn't hear anything, right? You're still in a place of searching. Whether your light is on, whether your light is off, whether you are still working on getting everything cleaned up, um, we do want to present to you a God that has been consistently faithful, a God that's been merciful, a God that has extended love when we didn't deserve it, a God that would send an angel to use a, a coal of fire, not to kill us for our iniquity, but to cleanse us. Um, that's the same Christ that is available to you. So if you would like to give your life to Christ, um, you can drop saved in the text, in the chat box. Um, or if you want to raise your hand even now, um, you can do that or speak with one of the ushers in the back. Um, I think just from what Dara said, it's, it's very important that we take account of what God is calling us to do, right? You don't want to be the seed that never got the chance to grow because you didn't do the hard work. So Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would sanctify and saturate every single individual in this room from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet in the blood of Jesus. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would begin to reveal yourselves to them, O oh Lord. Father God, we know that just one look is enough to change our entire lives. So we fix our eyes upon you, O oh Lord. Father God, we ask you to reveal to us the portions of us that are not consistent with who you've called us to be. Father God, we ask that you would give us the grace to stop asking you to move mountains, O oh Lord. And we ask that you would equip us and train 
carrying us to make it over the mountain, to push through every valley. Father God, your word says if you be lifted, you will draw men to you, Father God. So we take the, the, the weapon of our warfare, Father God, we use worship to exalt your name, and we trust that as we lift your name, you'll pull us out of our dark places, that you'll pull us out of our dry places, O oh Lord. We ask that you alone would be exalted. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Thank you for tuning in to the Gap Church Podcast. We hope this message blessed you. If you made that choice to give your life to Christ, congratulations, we celebrate you. Don't forget to text SAVED to 817-382-2244. Again, text SAVED to 817-382-2244. Thank you so much and have a blessed week.